0: Hello, mes amis, and welcome back to Lifegasm Book One, Marshall's Promise. If you're just tuning in, welcome to the club. The thing is, this story is actually a book masquerading as a podcast. So if this is indeed the first time you're listening in, I strongly urge you to start at the beginning with the intro slash trailer and work your way through episode by episode, chapter by chapter. Okay, okay. Now, onward and upward. Lifegasm Book One, Marshall's Promise, Chapter 14, Much Ado. All of humanity's problems stem from man's inability to sit quietly in a room alone. Blaise Pascal. October 2017, A Narrative Résumé. On Shelter. When I wasn't staying in the guest room at Williams, which I did as often as possible, striving to pay him forward for the month of November when he'd be on solo dad duty, I continued to sleep on Harriet Jean's floor, sleeping bag style. It was a different kind of living than I'd ever done before, packing up my bed every night, eliminating the effects of my presence as fully as possible. It was a different kind of living, and I liked it. It made every day feel necessary. On theater. I played a female version of Don John in our local Shakespeare troupe's Much Ado About Nothing, where I relished the opportunity to say things I would never otherwise say. Deceitful, mean-spirited, nasty things. It was fun. Play needs are real. The woman who played Margaret turned out to be funny as shit. During rehearsals, she and I would huddle backstage— soaking up the closest light of the dimmest imaginable lamp, creating a projected membrane between inside our circle and out. We would laugh so hard that our castmates passing through the darkness beyond would approach our energetic dome as if the instinct to be near us was hardwired. They would hover on the edges, soak up our repartee, acknowledge the impossibility of admittance, then flit off again, We weren't trying to be snobs. We were just so magnetically funny together. And that's how Whitey became one of my all-time favorite people. I knew she was my people when I told her I'd bought us best friend necklaces, and she said, shut up, stupid head. For the record, she has white hair, she calls me red, and I'm not great at nicknames. On finances... This was the month when my contract with the land trust finally expired, and I took a gulp of recognition that there would be no more money coming in. Not on that channel, anyway. Holy shit, I thought, this is really it. Please don't forget to remind me if and when I need to start making money, I pleaded with my deepest heart. There is nothing to fear, my divinity within reminded me. On the anniversary of Marshall's death, I prayed a lot, and cried a lot, and thanked my heart for continuing to beat, and thanked my lungs for continuing to breathe. I'm keeping my promise, I said to Marshall, through all the dimensions of time and space. On relationships. As outlined above, October was not a month solely defined by a burgeoning, rather painful longing to be with my sweetheart. But the burgeoning, painful longing was there too. I consoled myself by tapping into truth at its deepest level. All things exist in space and time simultaneously, I reminded myself. So the day Little Jack and I are together again already exists. Yes, it's in the future as of now, but it exists. And someday it will even be the past. So all I have to do is live these days. Easy. And even as I longed for his company, his caress, his love, I noticed some mild potential sticking points. For example, he might respond to what I thought of as witty, articulate texts with a brief LOL. Or I would send him a philosophical poem I'd written, and he again would write back with what I considered to be inadequate thoughtfulness. I filed these texting problems, if you can even call them problems, under long-distance relationship issues, and trusted that I would know more about how much energy I'd need to put into addressing them once Little Jack and I were in the same room. To soften the edges of October's wait time, Little Jack and I video chatted often, and never so often it seemed as while I was in the bath. My friends, I may have said this a thousand times already, but I cannot overstate the joy that came with truly loving and appreciating and taking good care of my own body. After so many years of self-abuse, the abatement of all that meanness was, and I mean this, pure joy. I'm not going to wait for my body to break down in some way before I choose gratitude— I announced to Little Jack one day from the steamy depths of the bathtub. It's the most valuable thing I own. It's a beautiful body, he replied. I agree. One day, when I was feeling rather sexy and wanted to share an intimate video chat with Little Jack, he was clearly not feeling it. I acknowledged that different people have different moods and appetites and did my best to move on. But when it happened a second time and then a third— I asked Little Jack if he thought we simply had different sexual needs. It felt to me like I was in the mood more often than he was, which wasn't a judgment on him or on me, but it was an important observation about a potential problem for our relationship. No, I don't think so, was his response. I just prefer the real thing to the FaceTime version. Fair enough, I thought, but if over the phone is all we have, well, wouldn't you prefer that to nothing? I don't remember if I said this out loud, because it would be a moot point in less than a week. Less than a week! I could start packing my suitcase. The night before my flight, I took my travel outfit for a practice run. This is what I'm going to wear tomorrow, I said to Harriet Jean as I strutted into the kitchen, where she was bending over multiple pots of bubbling sauces. Hot damn, Harriet Jean said, stuttering as she slurped a spoon. Are those fucking peacocks? Indeed, Harriet Jean, indeed. After six days together and six weeks apart, I would be returning to Little Jack wearing peacock leggings, a short, snug cotton dress, and a sparkly pair of black Chuck Taylors. He was a lucky man, if I did say so myself. Look out, world, here comes Evelyn fucking Wallace, and she is on fire, was how I narrated my life as I rolled into the Boise airport. That gives you an idea of how far east we really are here in Le Grand. It's easier to fly out of Boise than Portland. I was traveling southwest, my favorite little airline. What makes this scrappy little discount company such a treasure, you wonder? I'll tell you what. First, they're just friendly, and that matters. But also, it's because Southwest made all the right policy choices in all the right places. For starters, they don't charge you extra for checked luggage— So as long as you pack with that policy in mind, you can kiss all that, will there be room for my carry-on? Anxiety goodbye. Not to mention, will this suitcase fit in the airport bathroom stall with me? Anxiety for we solo travelers. But that's just the tip of the iceberg. The real reason that Southwest is better than all other airlines is because they don't do seating assignments. They just give you a group number, B32 for example, and then tell you when and where to wait to board. Once you're on the plane, you can take any open seat, and for someone traveling on their own, like me, this meant that even if I boarded last, I'd often find an open seat—usually a middle seat, but who cares—within the first five rows. And what are the first five rows, if not first class? On this particular anticipatory day in early November, I ended up being one of the last to board, and even though I had a full day of travel ahead of me, I was giddy. I was going to see Little Jack tonight, finally! As it happened, I snagged the middle seat in the very first row, gave myself an invisible high five, settled in, then looked up nonchalantly at my seatmates. One doesn't want to commit too soon to a conversation with a person one is trapped next to for the next several hours. Ask me how I know. And that's when it happened a thing I'd only seen in movies. The man on my left was attractive tall, even while seated, and smiling confidently at me. I scrambled to recall. Had I ever been seated next to a tall, hot guy ever? If I had been, I'd never truly taken note. Perhaps my previous marital status induced unconscious blinders? In any case, I smiled back at him, and three things happened all in a row. First, I felt my heart start to race. Second, I felt guilty for my racing heart. Third, I felt ridiculous for feeling guilty. I'm allowed to be attracted to this attractive man, I thought. I'm not doing anything I've promised not to do. If Little Jack expected me to never notice another man again, Little Jack wouldn't be my boyfriend right now. I like your leggings, the tall fellow said almost right away. Why, thank you, I said. They're peacocks. I thought so. They're rad. We started talking fluidly, intelligently, flirtatiously. I can't imagine what the guy on my right was thinking. I didn't look at him even once. As Mr. Tall and Hot and I glided into conversation, I didn't hide the fact that I was going to meet up with my boyfriend on the East Coast, but I didn't expound much on the matter. Mr. Tall and Hot shared that he was an engineer and was heading down to Texas for a project he'd been working on for six months. He told me he was looking forward to finding his way out of this line of work or of opening his own company. He spoke of wanting to spend his waking hours doing what made his light shine, and that kind of talk made my light shine. But that's just the boring work stuff, he said. What I'm really all about is outdoor adventures. My buddy and I made a pact this year to ski every month. Now that it's November, it's all downhill from here. He eyed me and chuckled. Ha ha, downhill, I get it, I said. Wait, what do you mean you skied every month? Like, what about June, July, and August? Yeah, it got a little harder then, he smiled, but we know how to chase winter. Well, fuck a duck. This man was tall, sexy, adventurous, articulate—did I mention tall?—and immediately, undeniably engaging. I wouldn't have known how to label it at the time— But the part of me that felt so resonant with this airplane mystery man was the part of me that I was discovering to be less compatible with Little Jack. My intellect. That had never been a dating box I consciously thought to check before, probably because William and I had been so compatible in this area. I must have taken its presence for granted. I hadn't realized how hungry my brain was for a meaty conversation until I was smack dab in the middle of one. Mr. Tall and, Hot and I discussed the laziness of the word "deep plain," and then moved on to the best unconventional ingredients we'd ever seen added to a Bloody Mary. I had a tiny cheeseburger once, he said, on a toothpick and everything. Well, I think that takes the cake, I responded, but my pickled beets deserve an honorary mention. Somewhere over New Mexico, I realized we hadn't exchanged names. Oh, I'm Evelyn, by the way, I said somewhat awkwardly, Howdy, Evelyn. Pleased to make your acquaintance. I'm Jack. Uh Uh-oh, I thought. The universe was trying to tell me something. I just wasn't sure I wanted to find out what...